this week on Dig Me Out. Jay, we're back this week. We've got our first uh, requested review episode of the 2017 season. Well, that's a misnomer, actually. We've had a lot mm. of requested reviews. This is one that was exclusive to 2017. It's not one of our Patreon subscribers who uh, earned one from last year. Yep. But this week, Bradley Mellenbacher, who's who's chimed in with some comments about shows and has had some things to say about previous episodes, he wanted us to check out an album called dead sexy by a band called scarce and as soon as i heard the record i was like oh i think i remember this and you know hmm. it's been 20 years so all those records that we got at the radio stations sort of you know i can't remember the everything right. off of everything but the, yeah it did something ju- triggers it yeah something triggers the memory and then so i started doing some research and i was like i wonder if there's members of this band that would be interested in talking to us Mm-hmm. So uh, I hit the the interwebs and uh, popped on Twitter and um, started the process. And mm-hmm. uh, we're going to be talking with a couple members of the band Scarce. Joining us from Knoxville, Tennessee. Chick, Chick, I didn't ask how you pronounce your last name. Is it Granning? It's Granning. Granning. Okay. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for spending your Sunday evening talking with us about hey. your band. Hey, and- thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. And then, Joyce, where are you joining us from? What part of the country? Well, I live uh, near Boston, but now I'm up in New Hampshire. Okay. At a chalet. (laughs) Oh, okay. Celebrating MLK, you know. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) And that's uh, Joyce Raskin. So I'm going to set the stage for all of our listeners who uh, might not be familiar with the band. Joyce and Chick both... Uh, sing in the band. Joyce plays bass, chick guitar, and then the current drummer is Joe. Is, do I have that right? And then the pre- yeah. when yeah. you guys started, it was Judd. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. We, we had a few in between too, right, Chuck? Yeah, we did. We had a lot of blowing up drummers, you know, like Spinal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stumpy is is literally quite Spinal Tap. <laughs> Very. Spinal. It seems like drummer is the spot that always goes through the uh, through the multiple members of the band. Yeah, right. Breathe, the, eh? <laughs> high 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 probability of flaking out or spontaneously combusting or what have you. If if you go on Wikipedia, there's sort of information that doesn't match up with things like Spotify. So Spotify says Dead Sexy was released. 1995 but then you go on to wikipedia and it says 1996 so just off the bat because wikipedia and spotify are not telling me the same thing what year was this album actually released it was two different versions of the same record oh boy there was the uk version and then the uh the u.s version and we had changed like four or five songs between them that's that's literally what happened and if you check out a brain hemorrhage Right, and there was that. There was that. And, we, and we'll, <laughs> I want to go. Th- I want to go through the history, so we'll 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 get to that definitely because that's um, a pretty dramatic 
twist in in the story of of the band. But I want to ask, when did you guys meet as far as uh, musicians working together? December 1992 was when I first contacted Joyce, right? Yeah, it was 92. Yeah, yeah, December 92. I called Joyce and said, hey, uh, you want to play in my band? She's (laughs) like, yeah, maybe. (laughs) So then we tried it. You know, once we could all get back together in Providence um, in 93, I guess, right? Yeah, I was actually on an internship from RISD in New York City. And I don't know how Chick tracked me down because I was couch surfing between different places for like six weeks. And uh, yeah, he found me. Kind of funny. <laughs> so how did yeah. you how did you know to look for her? Like, did you guys know each other from just... No, uh, the music um, scene, or I tried out for a band called Belly. Oh, um, okay. Chick came to see me when Tanya came to see me play uh, when I was going to try out, and because um, they were engaged at the time, Tanya didn't end up taking me. And Chick said, "Well, if you don't take her, I'm going to go call her up." <laughs> and yeah, that's that's what happened. I was like, "Well, can I have her phone number then?" So then I got <laughs> the number from Tanya and called Joyce. Okay, interesting. That see now that is information that is not on the the uh, the Wikipedia page, so um, I can go right? in and, I can go in and edit that tonight. Uh, but so, how long after you make that call is there like practices or or songwriting sessions or like what were the steps involved from getting to there to actually becoming an actual band? I think it was one practice because we were there for about eight hours that first practice and that was pretty much it and then like three practices later we had a show at club babyhead i believe yeah me and judd and check and in a dingy old warehouse for eight hours and we were all just like whoa kind of sounding yeah. good <laughs> hey, whoa whoa that was good baby <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah it was so- pretty instantaneous was that club on Rhode Island, or was that in a different area? Yeah, Providence, Rhode Island. Okay. So, can you give us an idea of what the music scene was like in Providence at that time? It was vibrant. Yeah. It really was. There was a lot going on. A lot of different things were going on. I mean, just a million different things, really. A lot of bands. Oh, yeah. Just so many, so many bands. And so many of them were so good, too. And we got to play and, all these great, I mean, it was like a very, very supportive scene. Everybody kind of, you know, would play shows together. I don't know if you felt like this, Chick, but I felt like there was so much a diverse group of bands, too. But oh, everybody Absolutely there was. Up, you know, and it was, uh, they were, it was just great. It was really fun and it was an exciting time. You turned around, or you started recording, it seems like pretty soon after because you had a seven inch out in in 93 on Mm -hmm. uh, a small label can you give us a little bit of an idea of i'm not familiar with delmore that's the label that it's listed as as being released on the single was days like this right was that a local label or was that a regional what was the like how did that come to be that was a that was a friend of our managers and he just wanted to put out a couple of songs on a like vinyl a, single, right? So, split, split single with another band or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We did that with Backwash, 
or um, yeah, backwash. <laughs> and we and it was that first recording that the stuff was released from was similar to our first practice. We recorded at a studio in Philadelphia called Studio Red with Adam Lassus and literally record recorded 11 songs, pretty much all the tracks in one day. And then yep. it was crazy. We were just like, because we would practice, we practiced and we were just super tight so that we went in the studio. It was just, we just recorded. In a week, we had mixed and recorded 11 songs, right? Or more than that, Chick? Yeah, like yeah it was, was 11, and then I, it might have been more than that, actually. I yeah. think it was more than that. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah. What is the uh, songwriting process to get to there? Can you walk us through that a little bit? Go ahead, Chick. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Joyce. Yeah, the songwriting process is a... Uh, 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 it's a slog, you know? It's just work. You just start with a couple of chords and try to make something out of it. You kind of bring that to the band and you guys work through it? Yeah, I would just try to bring something more or less completed to the band and then just say, okay, do what you guys want to do with this. Mm-hmm. When I came to the band, Chick had been playing with Judd for quite a while and they had this really interesting kind of thing going on already and I just had to sort of like I kind of like inserted myself in and around it but Chick had already written and demoed like all the songs and then they just kind of evolved from there but I I mean it was really sort of the way we all connected the three of us um where like Joe's Judd's drums really followed like the guitar like and yeah like rhythmically and yeah, and then I followed his foot, and it was kind of this interesting connection, and it was mm-hmm. kind of amazing the sounds coming out of three people, you know? Mm-hmm. Judd was yeah. an incredible drummer, though. He really was. Yeah, he was musical. too, so we had three-part harmonies. And, yeah, he was yeah. a good singer. How did you develop that? Was that something that you guys knew you wanted to do from the beginning, the, the it harmonies? It just kind of happened. It really just kind of happened. Hmm. I would say that. I mean, it really, it was funny because I feel like I just walked into this. You know, Chick had been in another band, Anastasia Screamed, and he had been, you know, doing this for a long time. But for me, it's like I came from like sort of a, the DC punk rock scene where I was just like, yeah, making money off music is bad. And, you know, like, I was, hmm. and I just kind of... <laughs> Never practiced and like never everything was like I don't care if I sing out a tune and and then I you know walked in this and and this band really changed my feeling about that like I'd never been in a band like that it was and it wasn't like thought out just like Chick said just happened it was just a just a real band <laughs> yeah and we all kind right. of, kind of we were all kind of taken aback by it. You know? Yeah, I was. It was like mojo. I was blown away. So you had mentioned that it was your manager that kind of hooked you up with, I guess, the first release. Since you were just forming that band at that time, was did you have a manager from the previous band that you had been working with? Or because I'm, I'm well, curious about that. A, yeah, I had used management, but she had left. 
And then, uh, then I met Leslie because she had called me after Anastasia screamed uh, while I was about to leave. Anastasia screamed down in Nashville, and I said, "Well, not right now, but I'll, I'll talk to you in a little bit." And then, um, about the time I got the band formed, I went to New York City from Providence and and met Leslie, and we started the management thing. Okay. From that, those 11 songs that you guys recorded, how many of those did you end up using? Because you put out, it looks like seven, or three seven inches in 94 um, for Hope, All Sideways, and It Was Dry. And then there was also a, an EP that came out in 94. Um, yeah, Red. Yeah. Were those all from that 11-song session, or was there more recording? Yeah. You did? yeah, we recorded it Red again after that, so... Some of the, some of that stuff was what was some of that stuff on there too, Joyce, or was it that all that first session? I yeah, actually can't remember. I think it was the first session. Yeah, I think it was too. Session. So yeah, yep. That demo tape, like first it was just a demo tape, and that demo tape got us like I think it was before we even released Red. We it had, was all these people trying to send us record contracts off that demo. Yeah. We had like 20, 24 labels, I believe. Right. Yeah. It was weird. I mean, we went, we played the show at CBGB's and there were, weren't that many people there, but all of a sudden that night we got home to our manager's house and like the fax machine just kept beep, beep. And all these record contracts just kept coming out and we're like, there weren't that many people there. Like what is up? Yeah. Like what? What the fuck is this? Oh. <laughs> but I think uh, it was the demo that that a lot of people reacted to because it it was really good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, not it in was. a conceited way. We just were proud of it. You know, it's like you just kind of know when something's really special, and it was. So did, yeah, did, still is. Yeah. Did you um did you guys milk that? Because we've heard, we've talked to other bands and they were like, yeah, we. We got in a little bit of a bidding war, so we just had everybody take us out to dinner since we didn't have any money. And they just, uh, you know, they, they used the opportunity to get swag from the labels or to get meals or, you know, whatever they could before they actually decided which label that they were going to go with. Was there any sort of that sort of toying around with labels? Yes. <laughs> yes, there was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but but the the, the all, all of them knew it as well, so they didn't really mind. They're like, "You're not going to sign with us, are you?" I'm like, no. <laughs> you can buy us a drink. <laughs> yeah, but, but but I'll take another whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So what what were you guys looking for as you get into this, and you've got all these options? Um, what, what was your criteria? Uh, we didn't really know. Yeah, I mean. It did work out, but you know, I mean, how do you really know what you're looking for? You know, and I'd even been on a label before and had some experiences, but I, I still didn't really know. Did your, yeah, did your manager you know? have a preference? Were they saying, you know, this this is a good opportunity or this is a good deal or anything like that? Were they directing you in any way? Nah, nah, not so much. I yeah. mean, uh, no, I think she really didn't. Chick, you were the one who pretty much was like was deciding that, you know, because yeah. I actually it was funny because I was still in school while scarce all this stuff was going on. I was finishing yeah. up Lizzie, so like we'd go play a show in New York, 
and then we drive back and then I unload the equipment and go to sleep for an hour and then go to school. <laughs> so I was, like, I was 21 at the time. So I was kind of out of it at that point. And Chick was the one kind of, you know, just trying to suss it out, which I give him full credit is very, like, it can be very daunting, like having all these well, you people, just, you know, knowing what yeah, to Yeah, you have so many choices. Yeah. And I think, too, like what was special about and and also like another element to it was that we would put on a really intense live show. And the live show was like just this very different from how we recorded. And I think a lot of people reacted to that as well. Um, and so we were looking for I mean, it seemed like. We were looking, Chuck, you can tell me, for a label that was going to you know, be into supporting both aspects of it and not try to change that about us, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what we were looking for. And, you know, we found it, too. Yeah, we and definitely. A&M, that's a good label. Teresa Ensenot, ugh. Yeah, she's amazing. So in that situation, does it really come down to the people that you're dealing with when you're when you're making that decision? Who you feel most yeah. comfortable with? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. You should tell them about when you saw Soul Asylum, and that's what made you sold on it, right? Mm. Wasn't that? Yeah. Yeah. You went. You got flown out to LA, and then weren't you hanging out with them? Well, yeah, I met David Anderley, and I met all the all the people working out there, and I was like, okay, I'll and, do, I'll do this. And the Soul Asylum oh, guys, oh. right? Didn't they say that? Oh yeah, A and M's a great label. You should definitely right. Yeah, I mean, it could have been anyone at that point, but, you know, it was the, the people out there. Yeah. What did they do that was so impressive to you? Well, the, the, you know, they, they talked to us. Mm -hmm. We got to actually meet everybody. Like, we met the president of the label, and he liked the band. Or at least he said he did. Yeah, he I mean, when we, when we went to some other labels, they're like, well, I haven't heard you, but, you know, I got, if my soldier said you're good, it's like, yeah. okay, bye. <laughs> Yeah, he actually took Chick and I in New York down to 48th Street and like was like, whatever you guys want to buy, come on, sell my credit card. We were like, okay. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What'd you buy? <laughs> <laughs> I got a nice music man face that was mm -hmm. like, yeah, I think and I I gotta just say the funniest thing was when Chick went in and he was like trying out this Gretsch, which he had, did end up getting, and he was kind of like the guy looked at him and was like like uh, sizing Chick up, like I don't know, you know, why don't you try this other guitar over here? And so Chick put it back, and then Al, the the president of AM, was like, "But Chick, don't you want that one?" And Chick was like, "Yeah," and he's like, "See, so you can get it." <laughs> And he was like, oh, okay. And the look on the guy's face was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh, ooh, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> that was wow. Yeah. He didn't think you could afford the Rickenbacker, huh? Yeah, funny. right. He did it. It was funny. He was just like, okay, guys, get out of the store. You guys are disgusting. You look like these dirty scum, like, you know, homeless people. Get out of here, you know? Mm -hmm. The songs that are on the album, those are for the songs that were the same as 
the early ones, are those the same demos, or did you re-record those for the album for A&M? No, we recorded it. Okay. Yeah, we did. The, yeah. Yeah. We went to, uh, I'm going to forget the studio's name. What was it called? In Dreamland. Which, Dreamland. In Dreamland in Kingston, New York. Yeah, where Nick Cave, where, where they did the um, Henry's Dream. In that studio, it was cool. It was in an old church. It was really creepy, actually. And and who did it you was. work with on the on the record? Um, we ended up working with Michael Barbiero. Well, not at first. <laughs> not at first. I was going to avoid that, but you know, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, we ran into some issues with uh, uh, Kevin Salem was the engineer. Yeah, just kind of like in the middle of it, he kind of took over and it seemed like it was his record <laughs> like he wanted to get rid of me <laughs> yeah he tried to get rid of Joyce in the middle of the recording I, I'm like okay bye it was like no um, Joyce is in this part of this band <laughs> like you can't get rid of her so then uh, yeah then we ended up working with Michael Barbiero he finished it and he was incredible he did uh, he worked with Metallica and Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses. Yeah, Blues Traveler. Yeah, he yeah, did the runaround. Was the big, like when he got nominated, I think. Yeah. Where the yeah. band got nominated for that, and. And he did Appetite for Destruction. Yep, he's the. Uh, he was the mixer on that. Because uh, yeah. who was who yep. was the? I don't remember who the producer was, but it's it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, but yeah, he yeah. has a, you know, Counting Crows and Government Mule, and there's a ton of. Yeah. Stuff he's worked yeah. with Warren Hayes from Allman Brothers and yeah he's, such, he's got a he's got a resume and he's super cool and he loved our band like he he came and that he did it like he basically saved our record and took like a huge hit and probably how much he got paid just because he wanted to work with us which was really cool it's really mm. yeah 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 Michael's the best. And he came back when we when we did the after ninety in ninety six when we recorded the couple of new songs for the Dead Sexy that was Michael as well. Yes. Okay. How would you describe his process? What kind of producer is he? Quick, to yeah. the point. Excited. He gets so mm-hmm. into it, like, and he's all about like catching the moment. Like, I remember when Chick would do a lead if he did something like really cool he'd be like that's it don't do he's like if you want to do it again you can't do it right now like because he's like you got it as far as i'm concerned like you know he just he had the ear and he made it so smooth and easy and just fun like we had fun recording that. yep both so, so were you playing live in the room how much overdubbing was was done we did a lot of it live Pretty much, yeah. yeah. With Michael, it was a lot. A lot of it was pretty live. Cause he, and he was great. He actually like would say like, "Okay, you guys play this way live," but like he would help us. He helped us like kind of say, "Well, this is how we're going to do it on the album." So he did a lot of the like showed us what a real producer can do. You know? Yeah, great. he did. Great. We learned so much from him. Do you have a couple examples of that? I'm I'm always fascinated to hear how producers uh, kind of change you in the studio to, you know, understand how to present yourself on a record as opposed to a, you know, a, a live stage. I do. Yeah, but he really, 
Check yeah. Oops, go ahead, Jess. Go ahead. You tell me your thing, and I've got one, too. All right. Yeah, I don't think he really changed anything about me. He would just take the best parts, and that was it. Hmm. But I was going to say, remember when we, when we, so the second time we, we worked with him, it was in Minneapolis and at yeah. um, the place where they did in utero and Pachyderm. PJ yeah, Hart. Yeah, it was a beautiful, awesome studio. Um, but what he did was before we went in to re record the five new songs for the American version, he actually sat down in the practice space with us and was like, okay, you know, like play that again. But just try, like, as an intro, like, do it X amount of times or, like, bring this to the beginning of the song. Like, he did a little bit of that yeah. to the song, like, for example, for Reigns of Kansas. Like, he he helped us sort of, like, see the song from, like, you know, as a whole picture. It was cool. It was just cool. Yeah, I want, to, I want to get into the record a little bit. The single, quote unquote, which I don't remember the uh, what we play at the radio station because we tended to just play what we wanted to play, play as opposed to what the record label right. told us to play. But the single, I guess, was all sideways. Is that right? That was off of that record? Yeah. That has a really interesting vibe to com compare to the rest of the record. Uh, it starts with that guitar part that you're playing, which is that a slide Part that you're playing um or it is. how are you doing okay is that like an open tuning or are you in standard it's a weird tuning it's okay. e flat e flat e flat g g and e flat okay <laughs> well that's different that's a lot of e flat yeah yeah that's well, what it is it has yeah. this like churning almost like my bloody valentine kind of feel to it where i could hear it on you know Loveless or something like that, but then it's counterbalanced with um, the vocal that you're doing gets into like this falsetto that it, it reminded me of like Frank Black fronting like a glam T-Rex or something like that. It was like very all over the place in terms of influence. So I'm curious about what the songwriting was behind that. And, and um, since you don't do that vocal a lot on the record, I think there's like one other part of a song where you get into like a high register. Uh -huh. where, what was the process behind writing that song and, and coming up with that? Wow. Oh. Wow. I, I came up with it like in one day and then there it was. And then that's what I had to work with, you know, like, okay, that's where I got to go. <laughs> I guess. I mean, it, you know, yeah, it's a, it was a tough one, but it's not undoable, so right. you just do it. Well, it's not that high. <laughs>
actually, I feel like a lot of times a chick would do the higher parts and I would do the lower parts and the songs a lot of times because that's just where our voices like would go, you know, when we were singing There's together. Some, that's true. Yeah, that's a, that's a thing that Jay and I have picked up on as being really kind of magical when when what you think would be the higher and the lower voice kind of switch uh, mm-hmm. with a male and a female when they're trading vocals or when they're harmonizing. And that really is where like something really cool and unique happens. And that's what I think connected with, you know, revisiting this record. There was so much uh, vocal interplay, whether it's you guys just harmonizing straight or in a song like Reigns of Kansas, where you're kind of doing a counter melody, Joyce to mm-hmm. his, main melody in the chorus and that song has more of a i don't i don't know if alt country is the right vibe but it has a completely different vibe than all sideways and is a nice little bit of a shift in terms of uh, you know you think you hear the first two songs you're like okay this is kind of an alternative rock band with some indie you know maybe pixie sort of influences and then you get to that song and you're like third song you're like oh wait a minute this is going in a bit more, a bigger direction than I expected. That song actually, um, Chick wrote two days before he had a brain hemorrhage. And I showed it to him because I had the demo afterwards and then he had to relearn it. But he had actually written it right. And I, he had played it for me. We had played it together, really kind of just the two of us up in his um, apartment. And I was like, oh, it's such a beautiful song. But yeah, yeah, that's right. I had written that right before that. Yep. The big elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. Um, just because that's, you know, we talked to a lot of bands. This is not something that has come up with before in terms of something so dramatic impacting a band. You guys that were on tour or who just finished a tour with Hole, can you give us like sort of the paint the picture for what had, what happened just before this uh, yeah we got off the road with, sure we got off the road with hole and we'd been off the road for like what two and a half weeks and um not even i think it was about a yeah, week it might have been about a week and we were and our drummer had quit <laughs> our drummer at the time had quit so we were like okay so we were auditioning drummers again um, you know, this is like the fourth time we'd we'd gone through this, and then we were due to go back to Europe and headline a tour, and then we were going to tour to Australia and loads of places. Our first headlining for our, our and Dead Sexy was going to come out in the UK a month ahead of the US. So yep. within that week, we were supposed to shoot a video, and then we were going to fly to England and all this stuff, and. We tried out Joe, and we were like, he's awesome, just fit right in. We have this kind of magical thing again. And yep. said goodnight, really excited. And then Chick didn't show up to pick me up at the bus station the next day. Nope, because I had a brain hemorrhage. <laughs> <laughs> and then three months in the hospital and brain surgery, and then... Yeah, how how long was it before we got back out on the road? Like five months after the brain hemorrhage? Six months? It was Something too like soon. Something like that. It was too soon. Yeah, a little soon. 
<laughs> that's kind of the, the situation we fell into. I was 23 at the time, and Chick uh, had always made all the decisions. I just had to show up and play bass and be like, oh, we're going here, we're going there. And all of a sudden, it was like on my shoulders, and I was like, it was hard, you know, because... Chick- oh, yeah buffer me from all that you know he made all the decisions and all of a sudden I was having to make a decision on you know and it was incredibly hard because I knew this was Chick's dream and his passion but I knew that he needed to recuperate but we had the record company being like we waited you know while we gotta release this record are we gonna release it are we gonna wait you know it's uh, yeah, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? That's storm. And I was like, Come on, let's yeah. go, let's go, let's go. Join the party. <laughs> yeah. So you know, what do you do? Go back on the road when you're not ready. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Get back out there and go. So the so for for the timelines, let's clear the the records out in the UK. You have the aneurysm. The record's still not out in the US, and, and you're. Right. Yes, trying to go through, trying to recover, but also um, at what point, I, I guess, what, what is that? Can you walk us through just a little bit of what, what's that recovery like? I mean, just paint a picture of, um, ah. I imagine you find yourself in the hospital and I guess what, what do you know from that point forward in, in terms of what's going on and how do you get yourself oh. kind of back on your feet? Well, I mean, uh, it's just, well, like after a brain hemorrhage, your emotions are kind of cut off for a while, or at least mine were, and that worried me. But you know, I mean, it just yeah, it takes a minute to put all the pieces back together and connect everybody again. It just takes a minute, to, you know, to recover. Is it like amnesia? Do you do you just not remember folks and the first time you um, see them again? Short term memory. No, I can re- I could remember things, but short term memory is tough. Mm. Actually, so I had to learn how to deal with that. This chick could play, remember, like had the muscle memory to remember how to play guitar, but he had to relearn the songs he had written. Mm. Yeah, I had to relearn my lyrics. But I would I would use associative memory to do that. I would like look at the record cover and go, and the song and the title and go, okay. And then then I just started using my associative memory for everything, and that's kind of how I got my memory back. The chick was in a coma took- three weeks, so. Mm. Wow. It was pretty serious. Yeah. Yay, coma. <laughs> <laughs> When he opened his baby blue eyes, I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were there, right? Yes, <laughs> yeah, you were there. <laughs> so what was that like to uh, to kind of get to get, get back together again for the first time? Oof. It was tough because we weren't we didn't really have the time to sort of like chat about it. It's just like everything was so fast and yeah we had we just had to get right back to work boom 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 we didn't have time to process it which is unfortunate i think Mm -hmm. i don't know if you i think chick and i feel this way like now that we're just that (laughs) we would have just talked about it we would have solved a lot of 
things, you know, but we were so young and you're just so like, <clears throat> there's so much pressure to, you know, everybody was like, oh, it's a miracle and chick is a miracle and, you know, all this stuff. And, oh, and so glad you live. Now get back on the road. Yeah. <laughs> It was like, was oh, like, oh, oh, wonderful. Okay, you've been laying in that hospital bed. That's enough. You know, so it was hard. It was very hard. And it's actually why I wrote my book, Aching to Be, just because I felt like it was such a whirlwind and so fast that I didn't process it for like years, years afterwards, because it just happened so fast. And then it was over. Oh, it was. Was yeah. there and then it was gone. Yeah. Well, like any plus, proper rock band. <laughs> you said you were 23 at the time, Joyce, when it happened. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty young to be able to process that whole event happening and then the aftermath. I I can't imagine if at 23 trying to process that as some you know when you're in your 30s, your 40s, and you have experience and you have maybe people that have gone through something similar or some sort of life changing event. You have some sort of something you draw on for a comparison but when you're that young and dealing with that i can i would imagine that that's overwhelming yeah yeah and it it really it was just a very intense thing i mean being in scarce was the best and the worst <laughs> it was it was <laughs> it was about passion it was about like that live connection that chick and I had it was special and you know it was fast and then when chick had the brain hemorrhage it just you know it's it's just one of those things where it was like you know you at that point our careers were being handled by so many different people that it's like you are getting pulled in a million different directions and yes like being that young you're just like well I don't know what should we do you know I mean, I always look at like all these young, like pop stars, and I'm like, I'm so glad that that never happened to me because, and they say silly, stupid things because they're young, you know, and you're oh, like, yeah, you're, they do, you know, <laughs> and and when you have the world handed to you and people like being like, oh yeah, you're awesome, and da da da, and all these people being like, oh yeah, let me buy you this, let me give you this, and then all of a sudden, you know. It stops and that chain of events like happens. It's like, and it just, everybody just disappears out of your life, you know? Yeah, it does. Where'd they all go? Hey, I thought everybody <laughs> liked me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you were getting pressure to get, to get back and get yeah. the record out, right? Is that, yeah. would you describe that accurately from the label and management? Oh, yeah. 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 And yep. you guys find a way to to, to to do that. Kind of walk us forward from that point as you kind of start to get back on your feet and try to try to forge ahead. Oof. Well, we went on some great tours. We did get uh, we went we toured with Not a Surf and Super Drag, and that was amazing for us because we were playing in front of. I feel like we we got a lot of new fans that way. Um, we did it and the grifters tour yeah we had some cool tours but then we were on some really bad tours <laughs> and it was like what are they doing it was like a mismatch with the other bands and the and the fans uh, didn't connect with you or 
No, it was more just like we were, it didn't seem like it was planned out. It seemed for hazard. We had trouble getting, having a solid booking agent. So like sooner or later, we found ourselves on these funny little tours where we're like playing a bowling alley or some shit like that, you know? Mm. And nobody's there and nobody cares. And what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. And also, when the album finally did come out in the U.S., they basically, I feel like there was this one show they flew us out for, and they had flown in all these DJs from all over. So we were playing for a household of DJs, and yep. it was so much pressure. And in addition to that, like, Chick was not well. I mean, he wasn't there. He wasn't, shouldn't have been there. Like in retrospect, as my, you know, as I had some time to process it and Chick <laughs> told me later on, he's like, I couldn't see out of my left eye still. I couldn't feel the emotion. The music was too loud. Like, it, you know, all these things that we didn't have time to talk about because the machine was just going, you know, how, how much time, turning. how yeah. much time between the aneurysm and, and that show is there? Uh, a couple months. I wow. feel yeah 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 and not they, too much they all came to the show and it was like wow me or not and mm. you know, and we played an okay show but it was like chick was not you know recovered yet and they all just were like eh I'm over this band sorry their their career's dead and they wrote it off that one night and at that yeah. point, that was the night that I just said you know what this is not right is not worth it and i just said to check i'm like i mean i probably didn't i didn't say it very well but uh i did (laughs) i did after all these years so chick and i you know got back together when we i released my book aching to be and uh we just started talking finally and he told me all these things and i told him all these things and it was just like you know just a matter of all these things that we didn't know that had we been able to um, have some calmness around us, I think it would have been helpful. But at the same time, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. So the band split up I mean, around 97, is that right? 96. 96, okay. Yeah, it was 96. And that Rolling Stone interview came out like right after a month after we broke up, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, it did. I never even saw it. I really didn't. <laughs> mm. yeah. So did you guys remain in contact after that? We or did, was... actually. Okay. Was yeah, loosely. Loosely at first, yeah. Yeah, because um, I, yeah. I feel like we were both in New York on September 11th, and I feel like yeah. that's really reconnected. And you called to see how I was doing, and I was like, you know, we just checked in on each other and kind of kept, like, a conversation going. And I remember that. Yeah. Did you both continue to play music? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chick released a great album, Empty. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, yes. I went and toured Germany twice, and I played London. It was a packed show. You know, I, I kept playing. 
Was that under your own name or was that under a band? Is this a, yeah, it's just me. Okay. So then, where did you get the idea, Joyce, to put together the book? What was the the light bulb that said, "I want to put together this book"? You mentioned it, "Aching to Be," that had to, you know, that incorporated the band into it. Well, it was really an exercise in understanding everything that I had gone through, and you know, just the whole thing because it was just so fast, like everything and. And I would tell people, like, the story. And then I just kind of got sick of telling the story because people were like, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know, and listening to the album, like, it's so great. I'm just like, you know what? I don't want to talk about this anymore. I just need to move on. And um, that was kind of my way of dealing with it because it was heartbreaking. I mean, it really was like losing, like, um like somebody you really truly love like not just chick but the band itself like it was and i i basically graduated from school and chick paid me to be a bass player which it was like you know i just like walked into it here chick was like i'm gonna pay you to be in my band i'm like okay (laughs) uh all right i'm pretty lucky but it (laughs) you know it's it just was a, it was really exercising because I was a mess afterwards. I was like starting over again and I was just like, what am I going to do with my life now? You know, because you just like, you got, you know, you walked into this like awesome thing and then all of a sudden it's just completely gone and it's passion and all this stuff and it made you full of life and you have to start over again. And, uh, I started over again, and as I was doing that, I was just writing everything down just to get it off my chest. So I'm like, I don't want to tell this story anymore. I'll just write it. (laughs) And it took me 10 years to write it. I mean, it was because it was really hard. You know, there was every every time I had my friend edit it or every time I had to go back and change something or reread it, I would just get really upset because it was so emotional you know it was very devastating and it affected me for a long time and it was interesting because like a year I feel like a year and a half after we had broken up I moved to New York and I was starting my new job at um like a publishing company and three days into my new job I got asked to play on the Conan O'Brien show with Ben Folds (laughs) <laughs> and, and I saw it when I lived in New York. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> it was really funny because they, Chick was signed, his, he got his publishing deal at the same time, that same person that signed Ben Folds. And uh, Ben always, he really liked our band. And um, he always wanted to do something. He always was like, Choice, I want you to come and play with me. And I was like, whatever. You know, I always thought he was kidding, you know. And then he called to ask me to do this uh, this show uh, with William Shatner. He was doing that. Yeah. Jack, do you remember? <laughs> and, um, and I was just kind of like, no, I don't want to do this. Like, how can I explain this to my boss? I can't take the days off. I just want to forget about rock and roll. And 
I was, you know, I finally, I told my boss, I'm like, is it okay? And she was like freaking out. And I was like, she's like, what is all this? I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. You know, like it's, it was just one of those things. It's like, no, I don't want to tell this story again. And the ironic thing was I did it and Chick could see me on there. And he's like, ah, Joyce is on Conan. Okay, I guess she's doing all right. I had the worst time. <laughs> I thought if I was on there with scarce, I would have been really excited. But I and I, and I, you know, Ben was was cool and everybody was really nice. But it was like these all hired guns, and I was just like, this is not me. This is not me. And, although I got paid very well. <laughs> like every time it aired, they would pay me, and my husband was like, maybe you should do that again. I was like, no. Maybe you should do that again, George. He's like, That's yeah. great. He's like, they keep sending you money. So it's nice. <laughs> I was like, no. Releasing the book is then what got, or or at least is part of the reason, I guess, Scarce got back together with you reaching out to check about the book. Is that correct? Yep. And then at yep. first, we, I was just. I sent it to him to read it, <laughs> and he was—he was like, "I said I was like, you know, before I put this out, I really should make sure Chick's okay with this." <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. He sent me a, a rough draft. <laughs> and that's how we started. We started talking, and and then somebody asked us to say, "Oh, will you guys do a reunion show?" And Chick and I were like, "Nah," and then we we're like, "Okay, why not?" You know, and then I was like, "Oh, we'll put the book out and have a little party and show." And and they were like, played together, and it was kind of like it never had time had never passed. It was kind of unusual, you know. It doesn't always happen with everybody, so it was nice. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, the reunion was great fun. How was especially to London. <laughs> How was recording again? Because then you guys put out the Tattoos and Parades release um, in October of 2008. Was it just falling back into the same old patterns, so to speak? Yes. Yeah, yeah it was pretty yeah. much automatic. Yeah. Now, lo-fi. <laughs> well, so are you, you were you, at that time, were you guys in the same city or how did you do the recording? Was it in two different, were you guys in two different cities? No, I was in Boston by then. Okay, and we the best was going to London though because we had never made it to the show. Like all the tickets were sold to the, our first headlining show in London, and our record was out, and it was sold out, and we had to you know cancel because Chick had the brain hemorrhage. And when we played this London show in two thousand eight, is that right, Chick? Yep. Yeah. Uh, to go over there and you know, promote the book and just, you know, play a reunion show. It was like everybody came out and they were having us sign the tickets that we never came to, the show we never came to. And they were the best audience ever. Everybody was singing every single lyric and they were just cheering us on. And it was pretty awesome, welcoming you know, that and the crowd at TG the Bears in Boston, that first reunion show, they also were singing every word. Yeah, it was pretty cool. They really were. So, yeah, you know, that's cool. 
That's really cool. Yeah, we were like amazed. We're like, wait a second, they have they hadn't forgotten us? <laughs> really? Somebody knows? Wow. We still remember scares. <laughs> Does that give you an emotional lift where you're like, I want to get back and do more recording and we is is there thoughts in your back of mind like we, we got a second shot at this, we can go we can not necessarily assign to a major label or anything, but we've at least we can resurrect the band and the name and and what we were doing and move forward as a as a unit again i think it was nice i don't know if you feel to be able to like move past dead sexy because you know there was it was bittersweet it was a beautiful album but you know we wanted to move past it and i think that was how we felt about being able to move forward and just kind of you know yeah it really was because i mean we got to do like a the rise and fall of circus boy blue with james signer and sport chelminski and you know they're just amazing musicians they're juilliard guys so they were and, incredible they they were did it for free totally these incredible they're like they did they won like grammys with ludicrous is that who it was i'm trying to remember yeah that's what, yeah yes yeah. But they were friends with Joe, our, the drummer, and um, and they just did it as a favor to Joe. It was so nice. like So we had a lot of fun. And that corresponds with the book that you wrote that came out in 2010, uh, which is the same title, The Fall and Rise of Circus Boy Blue. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. That, I was like, it was like an experiment in my writing. I was like, taking all the song lyrics and saying, can I write a story around the song lyrics? And I thought it would be really cool to have this tie into the album. So the songs were there first, and then I sort of put all the lyrics in, and then I wove a story around each one. And then some things didn't fit, so then I put in some of the lyrics of some of Chick's other songs that just seemed right, you know, like from the Red EP or other albums. So it wasn't entirely just that EP. It, it had more songs in the book than the record. But yeah, it was kind of like this story uh, that I felt like the words, especially the song Circus Boy, I think is one of my favorite songs on the record. It was just cool. It was fun to like kind of to let the music inspire a story. And then the latest release is double check here. Oh, Noble Scars, which came out in May of last year. So, what's the current status? Are you guys since Chick is in Knoxville currently? Are you guys still, you know, writing and like exchanging things music-wise, or, or is that when you just happen to be? in the same place at the same time where you get together? How does that work now? I don't know, Chick. How does it work now? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Joyce. Well, we, we've both been kind of busy personally for for the last little bit. But, I mean, Noble Scars, there's still one more Noble Scars song, right, Joyce? Yes. That Led Zeppelin song we did, right? That's, uh, we're, <laughs> the so River. We, we recorded it, and we're, we're just, my husband's been slowly mixing and mastering it. And, um... And so it takes time when you do it yourself, you know? Right, yeah, it uh, does. 
But it was kind of cool because we just released a song at a time and I made these videos that sort of, it was, I got into making videos and it was really fun and just kind of, you know, allowing it to like evolve slowly. I um, like those videos, Joyce. Thank you. But this, you know, past year I got breast cancer and uh, oh. uh, so I've been going through treatment for that and um that oh, my daughter's sitting right next to me. She's you want to can she say hi to Chick really quickly? Mm-hmm. <laughs> say hi to hi Chick. Chick. Hey. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. She's oh. um How old is your daughter? I'm twelve. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Yeah. Hi. hi. Um <laughs> The breast cancer thing, like, really kind of reconnected me, too, with Chick. Like, he was really, I kept sort of, like, he and I, he would talk to me to talk me through it. Because he'd been in a bad place before with his brain hemorrhage. And so, in a way, it was kind of like he t- him taking care of me this time and inspiring me to yeah. keep going and... And so we, you know, we have that connection. And he was saying we should call this record Noble Scars because I was talking about the scars that I had from my my surgery. And, and I was like, I got these huge scars. And he's like, They're, those are noble scars. You earn those. You fought. <laughs> the title came from. And just that, that chick and I have been through a heck of a lot, you know, and it's nice that we can still make music when we want to, you know? Yes. Yes, indeed. And through this interweb, you know, you don't have to be in the same city. Like, you know, Chick could send us stuff and via Dropbox and we can mix it in. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of ways you can record now too. It's kind of cool. Right. There's no, there's no physical distance anymore. In terms of, you can, like you said, you can, have him record a vocal or or put down a guitar track or something like that and then you know as long as it's at the same as long as it matches up there's yeah. no uh there's no need to be in the same same room anymore and just a you know it's a weird parallel in terms of what you were just mentioning it almost seems like in terms of you know a support system like there it couldn't be a better person in terms of to understand what you're not in specific, your specific situation, but just the idea of going through that sort of traumatic experience. It seems yep. like that's a really cosmic sort of parallel that, uh, you know, the universe throws at us every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Cosmic parallel. Okay, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> Still laugh. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Yeah. I have to. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> you know, I, I mentioned I wanted to keep this to around an hour mark, and I think we've hit just about <laughs> at the hour mark. So tell us, like, what's All right. what's going on in in this the scarce universe in terms of you mentioned there was another song. Is there going to be another song added to that release? I think it's at six now, or is that something that we'll be seeing in the future? Is a a separate release or what are the? No, that'll be the last song on that release. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. It's like a 10 minutes long, too. <laughs> okay. It's pretty massive, and there's tons of guitars on there. So, like, you know, we're just sorting through. Yeah, yeah. That'll take a minute to mix. Yeah. <laughs> just did a few guitars. Tell Matt I said thanks. <laughs> because of patience in this thing. But that's all. <laughs> Getting paid the big bucks for this. <laughs> yeah, right. Nothing. <laughs> and, you know. I want to direct um, all the people who are listening. They can go to uh, on Bandcamp. It's scarce one. So you'd go scarce, the number one, and then dot bandcamp dot com to uh, check out the last three releases, which would be tattoos and parades from 2008, the fall and rise of Circus Boy from 2011, and then Noble Scars from May of 2016, and then. Um, if people want to pick up uh, earlier releases like Dead Sexy, is that something that's a little bit harder to get a hold of? I don't. You guys have a like a store online, or it's anything? all on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Yeah, okay. actually, no, it, every bit of it is. Yep. Yeah. So I was gonna say um, you can buy Dead Sexy on iTunes, but it's not the UK version, just the US version. Okay. They Do you because. Have, uh, released it yeah i copy sitting in your basement oh yeah do i want to mail them out probably no but yes (laughs) i do we do (laughs) i I, I might have to bug you after the the show for that (laughs) yeah no no i'll definitely send you i have the uk one i think that's it because that was the promo right chick i think it was the uk yeah yeah was it pressed on vinyl? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, all of it was. And a, and a CD. I think it, they were they released both. But um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the you know that's the hot thing now is everybody's going back to vinyl for. And vinyl is yeah. vinyl. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it it almost died in the '90s. It almost got killed off, but uh, uh, people have uh, been circling back around to uh right. to physical media so no right I, I, ironic right yeah well that makes they, sense when they see that uh i think i just saw recently that um roger mcguinn tweeted out that he had something like a quarter million uh streams on pandora and he made a dollar 97 no. off of that right for uh for yep. so you want to be a rock and roll star exactly. yep so yeah, have your point zero 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 one <laughs> of a penny for your stream. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy that. Buy a donut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not even. Penny candy? Well, you know, save up, you know, a few thousand of those, then you buy a donut. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, and then, uh, Chick, you mentioned earlier about the um, solo record that you'd put out. Uh, uh-huh. Where can people pick that up is it, do you have a website or a or a place where people can go to find that record or is uh, that uh like itunes i don't but it's all on youtube okay chick branding mt no just the letters m and t mt it's a great it's, a it's all there record we did actually on noble scars we because i i forced it to we 
re-recorded two of the songs off empty which is super fun and if you did not know it because uh, I just was like I want to sing those with you <laughs> yep that's why we did it <laughs> it's like okay annoying (laughs) all right well i want to say thank you to both of you for for taking some time out and and sharing the stories with us this has been really a lot of fun and i always love to talk to you know everybody has uh the impression of the 90s that you know a million bands got signed and then a million bands got dropped and they all have the same story but what we like to get into the you know the unique stories of all the different bands that existed um, and are still existing and still making music Um, but the the 90s was such a fertile time that we've been able to go back and you know rediscover so many different albums that we missed or or we had forgotten about so I really want to thank both of you for for coming on and like I said letting us uh, steal your Sunday night and uh, talk to us about the record thank you for for uh, like talking about dead sexy because it does warm our hearts and people yeah I, we appreciate it because we worked hard for it uh, that on that album and it's nice nice that it's being listened to it is absolutely it is well hopefully more more people will go check it out whether it's via the Spotify or, or whether uh, they check out the new stuff on on uh, Bandcamp that'll be. I don't. I don't know that uh, when Bradley uh, or Brad when he suggested that we check out the record. I don't know if he knew that there was stuff on Bandcamp. So this might be a shocker to him uh, <laughs> that there was new stuff to check out. Yep. I need to thank uh, a couple of people on our Patreon page. Peter Matheson. He just joined at the two fifty level. Thank you, Peter. And I want to thank Wit and Stephen for giving us uh, some comments on the record and uh, discussing it with us on our Patreon page. And if people want to join us for conversations on the record, uh, head on over to patreon.com forward slash dig me out. And that's it, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out. Thanks for listening to support the podcast. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. Yeah.